0: Listener production. At 7:55 a.m. on the 19th of August 2019, I was fast asleep. The phone woke me up. It was Danny Camerata, David's wife.
1: Danny. Hi. Hi. What's happened? They've just caught
2: John, John, Jonathan.
0: Police had concerns for up to four of Jono's friends while he was on the run. In August 2018, Jono had allegedly attacked David Camerata with a hammer at his home in Melbourne. He'd once been the best man at David's wedding. This had followed the alleged murder of Jono's younger brother David Dick in 2017. Dick had been brutally killed with the samurai sword as he emerged from a lift in a suburban shopping centre. At the car park where Jono was arrested, police found another hammer, a knife, and other items in a bucket. Danny Camerata.
2: My brother had called the police um, last week and thought he'd seen him. He was positive, um, wearing a disguise. So um, David was on pretty high alert and terrified. And this morning, when he's got into work with his colleague, um, they spotted him.
1: Where did they see him?
2: In the car park.
1: And so they grabbed him? Yep. And didn't let him go this time?
2: No, 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 they didn't let him go. The call was uh, very frantic. David was shaking and shocked and just uh, relieved. Like, uh, I can't even explain um, what this means for us. Like, I I can't even explain. I
0: think I know. Yeah. It took a while for the news to sink in but my shock soon gave way to joy and relief. One of the country's most wanted men, Jonathan
3: Dick, is under police guard in a Melbourne hospital. The 41-year-old has been on the run for over two years,
4: wanted over the alleged murder of his brother with a samurai sword at a Doncaster shopping centre. We're told uh, he may have been stalking somebody in the city, and that's when two men uh, have restrained Jonathan Dick. They were involved in some sort of altercation. Jonathan Dick was left bloody, his hands cast...
0: David Camerata was with police all morning, but finally he got a chance to call and explain what had happened.
5: David, you've been
4: busy.
5: I have been busy.
4: What happened? Basically, last week, my brother-in-law rang me frantically because he thought that he'd seen Jono in the car park that both of us actually park in. And um, since that, day, I was fairly... um, Like concerned and the same thing, just vigilant, but even more hyper-vigilant. Sure. I've just been feeling a bit off. And then this morning, I pulled into the car park and Dion just oddly and really weirdly arrived probably a couple of minutes before me because he was getting out of his car. And I noticed when I got out of my car, there was a guy looking at me from the corner of the car park and I thought, shit, that looks like him. And Dion yelled out to me just to acknowledge that we were both there and we walked together to work. And then I looked back and as soon as I made eye contact, this guy, who's obviously him, is uh, turned his head and tried to sort of walk away really far. So I um, I yelled, on it's him. And I took off after him. And I managed to catch up with him in the alleyway. And he had a bike with him. And um, I wasn't 100% sure at first, and I'm like, hey. And when he looked at me, he just, <clears throat> just shit himself. And I don't know if I tried to swing at him or grab him and um, he took off and then Dion was a bit further down the alleyway and managed to grab him and bring him to the floor and then um, we basically tried to get him to stop sort of throwing his arms and legs around and Dion ended up getting him in a chokehold and um, called the police and that was that, job done.
0: Police found a knife on the scene by the car park. Initially, they thought it was Jono's knife but it turned out to be David Camerata's.
4: And what about the knife? Um, yeah, that, that was mine. The knife was mine. I see, I, I see. Yeah, so what had happened was, because of what's been going on, I bought that straight after I got hit in the head with a hammer. I don't carry it with me all the time, but every now and again, if I'm by myself in the car park in the morning, it lives in the side of my car door. This morning, I physically grabbed it out with my mobile phone. And then when I saw him, I thought, oh, shit, I don't need this thing, because, you know, A, it's dangerous, B, I wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. So I drew it um, as I was running, and then um, I'd actually forgotten about it until I saw the picture on the um, news. So yeah, that was that.
0: Morning TV news programs carried footage of Jono being led to an ambulance by police. His face was obscured by a mask of his own blood. The phone began to go off with calls and texts. Emma Beattie, Jono's unrequited love from childhood, was one of the first.
1: Emma, what did you hear?
4: Ah, they got him! It's over! Wow. It's it's so weird. I was in the
3: city last night with my daughter, just walking around, thinking, you know, he's still out there somewhere. And then 12 hours later, he was probably two kilometres from where I
4: was last night. Just unbelievable. It's
1: crazy. You must have had concerns yourself.
3: Uh, yeah, I did. Look, it didn't change the way I live my life uh, day to day. I refused to let him do that to me. But look, I was definitely looking over my shoulder a lot.
1: Yeah, and I wonder. I mean, when we when we spoke, you were thinking about this day and the future from here. Would you want to reach out to him in any form?
3: Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's really early to sort of consider it. But yeah, I've. I don't think that I'll never speak to him or see him again. I don't I don't feel that I'll never see him again. Hopefully
0: he gets the help that he needs now. Gareth Jones had tried to assist Jono years before. His relief that the manhunt was finally over was obvious.
1: Hey Gareth. Yeah. A little bit shell-shocked. Um, I'm just relieved
6: is the first thing. Imagine no more every noise you hear at night time, every time you go to put out the bin, got walking to your car, looking over your shoulder, constantly thinking about how your actions and what you're doing. Oh, it's a relief, a re- absolute relief. I'll, I'll get to go and see him. I'll tell you in the future, I will. I've always said, yeah, I feel like I could talk to him. Yeah. I still feel they're separate, and there's so much I want to know why, that one day I will go and talk to him.
1: Yeah, sort of turning the tables. He was the one coming to you with all the questions back in the day. Oh, um, yes, that's
6: right. There's just so many unanswered questions. You know, what level did he get to? Why has this all happened? Where's he been? How's he been living? What did he know? What didn't he know? Why is he doing what he's been doing? Yeah. Was it only him that he was after David? Why? Just so many whys. And who has the first been looking after him? That's the, that's the real key. Is there, that... if there has. Well, they're going to be caught now. I can't yeah. imagine, you know.
0: Paul Devitt, another childhood friend, didn't quite know how to feel.
1: Well, mate, you can put away the baseball bat. Yeah, what a relief. life. I Chester's opened up. It's hard to describe it, you know. It's, um... I feel free again but I didn't have any reason not to be free before you know <laughs> it's a yeah. weird feeling you know Oh, it's just a sorry of relief I can go back to living. I, I don't have to look over my shoulder I don't have to walk in a circle Six times to my car in the morning To make sure I've covered all the angles That somebody could jump out from You know Like Yeah it, it, It's that, That's part I'm happy about The fact that one of me mates Has ended up it, it, This isn't the person that I became mates with as a kid And, and stood by Me whole life You know what I mean Like And, that's, and that makes me feel sad You know what I mean Like it, It's it, it's a relief and it's sad at the same time. It's, it's a real strange kind of emotions, you know? It's like i fucking won a or something, you know what I mean? It's the weirdest feeling. Like, it's fucking strange, it really is, you know? Like, I feel like I've won something. Yeah, I don't know, I haven't. But I kind of have. I don't know, it's fucking strange, you know?
0: This week was already looming large for David Camerata and his family. Police were preparing to increase the reward for Jono from $100,000 to $1 million. New footage of the alleged crimes were about to be released and David was nervous. So I tried to reassure him in a text message, saying that I felt this was going to end sooner rather than later. It was a strong feeling, but I had no idea it would come so soon. When people
7: say things like that to me, it's not that I'm dismissive, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I wish... And uh, this morning, when I was sitting at the police station, when I sent you that message, I'm like, "Holy shit, he was right!" So uh, you you were spot on. I was telling Danny that how excited you were to come back and start getting it out there, and it's all done.
0: What's left to understand is where Jono has been for the past two and a half years. I learnt that police believed his last camp was behind Rushall Railway Station, an inner-city station that backs onto Merry Creek. It was a tent nestled up against the fence of a community garden. It was partially obscured by brush. It was just metres from a walking track and a busy road. How nobody noticed the fugitive's hut is a mystery. So here I am at the campsite of Jonathan Dick. It's on... basically next to a walkway, a little rise just before a community garden here. It's a little lean-to, pretty good serviceable tent, a little fire, wood heap, empty bottles lying around, reflectors. There's food. There's a home hair kit I see, recently acquired, I guess to give himself the haircut that he had. I've also learnt that Jono spent time in public libraries, reading newspapers and possibly accessing the internet to monitor the police investigation. The newspapers inside, the earliest I can find dates back to the last week of July. So it's um, he's come back to this camp in recent times, possibly in preparation for what he was going to do next. So there may be other camps yet to find. We know about Mornington Peninsula. We know about regional areas. Um, It could even be that he went back to Wallen somehow. Old places that he knew, possibly, I don't know. But certainly, this is not the only campsite. But what's remarkable here is all these people who came to this community garden over two years, while this humpy was uh, standing, apparently didn't see anything out of the ordinary. Um, That's remarkable, really. And they saw the guy coming and going. He had a bicycle. I mean, he wasn't that hard to distinguish. He must have been amazed himself that he could have lasted this long. His method was highly developed. He stole food from community gardens and dumpsters in the back of shopping centres. He'd taken clothes from charity bins and accessed homeless services at times. He moved up and down the train lines and used bicycle paths to avoid surveillance cameras. As the days passed following the arrest, it appeared less likely that someone was harbouring him. Maybe he wasn't being helped, and we have to come to this conclusion eventually, or at least sway towards it, that Gareth, Gareth Jones, might have been right when he said that this guy is living off the grid, totally. And this is off the grid, I guess. Next to the railway line, there's a toilet nearby that you can have access to, which is good. It's fresh water, I guess. Public transport... Maybe after all, Jono had managed to stay at large all by himself. He'd ranged far and wide in the two and a half years on the run, moving from inner city Melbourne to regional areas including the Mornington Peninsula. His movements were determined by where he could find food and shelter. Apparently he never remained anywhere long enough for anyone to recognise him. Now he's in a jail cell awaiting his next court date. In a brief court appearance, Jono, despite bearing signs of his capture, appeared to be in good health, according to The Age.
8: Mr. Dick sat impassively in court wearing a black T-shirt and had numerous cuts on his face. He had stitches above his left eye and below his right eye. A lawyer for Mr. Dick told the court his client had no mental health issues and was not on any medication. Dick was composed and polite as he answered the magistrate's questions. He said thank you as he was ushered back to the cells where he'll stay until a committal mention on December 10.
0: David and Danny Camerata are relieved and happy that their ordeal is over and that Jono will now face justice, accused of the murder of his brother David Dick and the attack on David Camerata. The thing that really warms my heart, David, is the fact that when we spoke, I could tell how much that regret weighed on you that he managed to escape last time. Yeah,
7: it did a lot. You know, it'll sink in probably in the next few days, but that I got to close the chapter... And I couldn't have... I mean, Dion's, you know, we basically live together in the same room almost, you know, or every day. So he's my brother, yeah? And to, ha- to have your brother there to sort of back you up like that and, you know, to potentially put his own life on the line for you is amazing. A couple of little injuries, <laughs> nothing a few beers and an ice pack won't fix. That's, That's it.
1: it. How are you feeling?
2: Um, just in a bit of disbelief. I think I, I, I feel, yeah, I can't relax even now. Like, I feel happy, but... I just need to see it for myself that he's in custody because this has been such a nightmare. And, yeah, if we couldn't have had a better result.
0: September 18, 2019, a month after David and Dion captured Jono, I got a text from Emma Beattie. It said, Hi, Adam. Jono called me this morning. I'll call you on the way home. His court appearance, where he would indicate how he would plead to the charges he faced, was almost three months away on December 10th. This would be evidence into his state of mind for investigators.
3: After Jono was arrested, one of the detectives came to see me just in regards to a statement that I'd made a couple of years ago. And he sort of made a comment that he didn't think that Jono would want to speak to anybody. And it really just triggered my... um, my interest and my curiosity I guess and I sort of thought I wonder if he would speak to me so I wrote him a letter it was a really short letter and it just basically said if you want to call me you know I'd like to hear from you I want to make sure you're okay and I'm sorry that I couldn't help you when you reached out to me for help a, a few years ago
0: After two and a half years in the wilderness, here was a chance for Jono to be himself again. No longer the punisher on the run, he could be the personality that Emma once knew.
3: When I answered the phone, he said that he'd called me because he'd only heard from me and his mum. He got my letter and he said that he had absolutely no interest in speaking to his mum so he thought he'd give me a call.
0: The last time Emma had spoken to Jono was a few years before he killed his brother. He'd been floridly psychotic then. He was delusional, saying he had an urge to kill people at random. In this call, he seemed fully coherent and rational.
3: He sounded really confident, actually. He sounded very accepting of his situation. Kept just repeating over and over again, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine.
0: Did he talk about the arrest at all, about about the guys capturing it?
3: No, he didn't talk about the arrest. He did talk about how he he didn't have a TV for the first few days and then he got a TV and he said, I saw Camarada on the TV.
0: David and I went on Channel 9's A Current Affair in the days after the arrest.
3: And then he laughed and it was a really it was almost like who describe it as an evil laugh <laughs> like because Dave had done the current affair which he really wishes he hadn't done yeah, I told him
0: not to do that as well Yeah, <laughs> 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 though I was on it too I, was, I said I'll go on it you don't have to go on it but, but yeah and they kind of boiled it all down to a dispute over a pizza
3: yeah and so yeah. it was
0: kind of trivialised everything wasn't
3: yeah, it yeah it was silly and that's why I said that to Dave on the phone the other day I said that whole thing would have been okay if they hadn't have just done that pizza thing that they did at the end
0: so where was he where was Jono
3: well, the conversation sort of went like, I said, you know, there are probably a few people that would want to speak to you. You know, I'm sure Gareth would like to speak to you. And he just went, why? What for? And I said, Jono, do you know that you are Australia's most wanted? And he went, yeah, I was just living in North Fitzroy.
0: <laughs> so I'm fascinated. How was he living?
3: Well, I said to him, what were you eating? What were you doing for food? And he said, "Our oh, restaurants throw away food all the time. I said, ''Weren't you cold?'' And he said, ''Nah, I had my tent.''
0: So, did you detect any remorse in, it, in him no. at all?
3: No. No. He was very, yeah, like, almost cocky, almost cocky, overconfident. About With
0: unfinished business?
3: Yeah, yeah. It was just, I think, it, the way he was something that he had to do, he had the right to do it, and he did it, and now he's, yep, OK, well, I've done it, and this is what's going to happen now.
0: Like, he told Emma there was no kill list as such, but he added casually, there was at least one other person that he might have liked to catch up with once he'd killed David Camarata. This person had bullied him. Jono remembered an incident where he had grass clippings stuffed in his mouth. Such were the trivial motivations of his murderous intent. This was the Punisher talking, the vigilante from Jono's comic book fantasies, cold and merciless. Yet he was not delusional by any means. And he's prepared to... Where the consequences?
3: Yeah, I would say... Yeah, he said his words were, well, I'm obviously going to be in here for a long time. So, yeah.
0: And how did he leave it with the, with the phone call? What was the end of it?
3: So, um, you get 12 minutes, and we were heading to 12 minutes, and so I said to him, if you want to call me again, you know, and you want someone to talk to, I'm happy to talk to you. And he said, well, I don't want to sound like a tight-ass, but it cost me money to call you, so... Um, <laughs> I kind of took that as, well, I, I, I won't call you, but, uh, you know, if he, I think if he really wanted to know something, then he would call me.
0: The call to Emma should have answered any question that Jono might rely on a mental health defence in his upcoming plea. He must have been aware the call was recorded and it would form part of the brief against him. Emma would be called as a witness if he were to plead insanity and opt for a life in a psychiatric hospital.
3: I actually don't even think Jono would expect me to tell anything other than the truth, really. You know, if I was there, that's what I'm there for, and I'm sure that he would accept that.
0: And I think in a a perverse way, that's why he made the call. Yeah. Gareth's view is very clear. He says Jono would never... He'd be too proud to say that he had mental health issues. He would construct a coherent cause and effect scenario where he was justified in doing what he he did, you know? Yeah, And then cop the consequences. So I think the call is, is in line with that.
3: So. I would agree with that.
0: The days after his capture must have seemed a mixed blessing for his mother. Jono was alive, but the fact of David's murder had not changed. And as he told Emma, Jono was not contacting his mother. She wrote an
8: email to supporters and friends read here by an actor. To my dear family and friends, thank you. You all know that my son Jonathan had been on the run since he murdered my middle son David on the 3rd of February 2017. I have not seen Jonathan, as the judiciary system is difficult for me to contact him. They move him at random. As you know, the media do their thing, but the graphic photos of my son was more than I could take. He has broken ribs, broken nose, stitches in his eye, but he is now being looked after and he is warm and being fed. Apparently at the court hearing on Tuesday he was polite, lucid and quiet. She betrayed no anger at what Jono had done. There was no mention of the attack on David Camerata, nor
0: any gratitude for bringing her son in alive. In fact, she portrayed her son
8: as a victim. Those close to him had failed him. My heart bleeds for him. Such a gentle soul who suffered in silence. The monsters in his head, as well as his bullying whilst at Whittlesea High School, where he was called Forrest Gump by some of his so-called friends, in my mind, has been the ongoing confusion in his mind.
0: His Whittlesea classmates were surprised to hear claims they'd bullied Jono and denied this, but they declined to comment on the record. Gareth said it was not Jono, but him
8: who was called Forrest Gump because of his awkward running style. I shall end this now, but one day I shall write a book on behalf of my sons, who I will never forego or forget. With my love and thanks, Carol. Jono's call to Emma
0: erased any lingering notion of a new friend who'd helped him while on the run. Jono was just living in North Fitzroy, as he told Emma. He wasn't working for cash as a plasterer or moving back and forth to regional areas, as police had once believed. But how did this go on for two and a half years? What lessons could be learned from this investigation? I went in search of answers at Yarra City Council, which administers Jono's hideout at Rushall. I was directed to the council's homeless protocols, which provided much of the answer. It states that... All Victorians
6: have a right to be in public spaces, and generally staff should only approach a person sleeping rough if... They appear distressed or in need of assistance. They are sheltering in circumstances that threaten the health and safety of themselves or others. Or their behaviour threatens the safety and security of people around them or could result in damage to property or to the environment.
0: So, if Jono did not breach these protocols, he could sleep rough in Fitzroy for as long as he wanted, according to the homeless I spoke to in the area. Council would have referred Jono to a welfare group called Launch Housing, which would have met most of Jono's needs. This
5: is Mitch. They, they don't always find you if you're just keeping quiet on that. They'll get tip-offs from police If they've seen someone sleeping somewhere that's just showing up, so a new one, they'll give them a call. Mm -hmm. Um, If the council cleaners have spotted somebody sleeping somewhere that they haven't seen them there before, they'll put in a referral to these guys at Launch Housing and then they'll come out and um, have a chat to you and see what they can do. A spokesperson confirmed that council was aware of
0: Jono's tent, pitched just 50 metres from Rushall Station. Here's their statement to me.
3: The site was not continually occupied. When it was occupied, Council referred it to our community housing partner to provide outreach services. Yarra Council was not aware of the identity of the rough sleeper in Rushall Reserve or the allegations against them prior to the recent media
0: reports. As I had suspected, Jono had moved his camp within Fitzroy, perhaps to keep ahead of all the do-gooders who were offering to help him. There are 23 sites the council monitors, the largest being the old Brunswick Street football ground in Fitzroy, about a kilometre from Jono's camp. There's a permanent camp in the back of the grandstand, a row of about 20 tents under cover, with a magnificent view of the oval and the city of
5: Melbourne skyline behind. And what about food? Oh, plenty of food. How do you get food? Plenty of places. Just down the street here, you can go to St Mary's. You can go there for breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea. The food van's out every night. Do they uh, ask
0: names or anything?
5: No. No No, no ID, nothing? Okay. No. Because when I went to John O's little camp
0: after he was, he was arrested, yep. in there were a whole bunch of packets of coals, things, like yeah, you know, yeah.
5: bread and so forth. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have need to, to steal that, would he? He could just no, be given no, no. it. Yeah, he'd go get a food hamper. Food hampers, a lot of the time you'll need to put a name down for. If it's picked up a healthcare card from somewhere, that's all they ask for.
0: So how much food could you get without giving your name, do you
5: think? Oh, plenty. Like, you'll get a hot meal at least once a day, breakfast every every day, yeah. So, courtesy of welfare,
0: Jono had a perfect base while he planned his next attack. Police weren't totally clueless. As we know, Jono had been spotted in the car park near David Camerata's workplace the week before his eventual arrest on August 19. I learnt police came to the tent city at the footy ground looking for Jono that week, but there hadn't been regular checks of the area for months. This puts paid to the idea that Jono was being assisted by someone. He was being helped in a way by the city of Yarra and its ratepayers. Okay, he wasn't a threat to people he didn't know. But what if next time the fugitive is a threat to the public and they follow his example by staying off the digital footprint? Given current police methodology, this plan was foolproof. He'd managed to hide right under the lion's nose. None of this was reassuring to David and Danny Camerata. It brought home how vulnerable they'd been while he was hiding in plain sight. In October, the euphoria of Jono's capture had given way to a dread that life could never return to normal.
2: We're good people. We we were just trying to live our lives. That's his human reaction because of the sheer terror and torment we've gone through in the last 12 months.
0: The future of the family hinged on what sentence Jono received.
2: It's just that number. That number terrifies us a little bit. Moments before hearing his sentence will be quite stressful because if that number falls too low, it changes a lot for us, so... We'd have to reevaluate our living circumstances, David's work, everything, so... What's
0: an acceptable number, do you think?
2: Uh, look, I hope he gets 30 to 35, and I think below 20, then we're gone. We're, yeah, we'll have to leave the country. This is the way we think of it. If you can sit for 10 years and attack David, 20 years in jail, it's gonna be a walk in the park for him.
0: Jono's call to Emma from jail had unsettled David and Danny. Emma said he'd seemed so familiar. The old Jono she knew was still there, which was so odd considering what he'd done. David and Danny were having none of that.
2: It's different and I hate that when I hear people talk about him, that they say mental health and he's not the person he used to be. It's not that, it's he's evil.
0: The parting message from this meeting was that they could never feel completely safe until Jono's heart had ceased to beat. If he could survive jail, he could come for David again. So Jono's fate and the Camaratas rested in the hands of the magistrate. I attended several of Jonathan Dick's appearances in court over nearly a year. He appeared by video link. He was polite and cooperative. He seemed to follow everything going on. The police expected that Jono would spend up to 35 years in jail for the murder of his brother David and the attempted murder of his former best friend David Camerata. There was no doubt that he was under the grip of schizophrenia when he committed these crimes, but the detailed and long-term planning suggested he knew what he was doing and to evade police for two and a half years had taken discipline and organisation. I understand that Jono was once challenged by police while on the run, and had the presence of mind to give a false name. In custody, Jono began talking about why he’d killed his brother, because he believed David was an outlaw bikie involved in drugs. He'd attacked David Camerata because he believed his former friend had beaten him up years before and removed his brain in the presence of an angel. Jono seemed to understand what he was doing and why he needed to evade capture. In February, he was asked to plead to the charges and he replied, I would have thought guilty. But that wasn't the answer the magistrate expected. Apparently, his lawyer had advised him to plead not guilty on the grounds of mental health impairment. Jono had gone off the script. The magistrate was confused and explained Jono's rights to him before asking for his plea again, to which Jono repeated he was guilty. More discussion followed, and eventually, Jono changed his plea to not guilty. He was now in the embrace of the mental health system. (laughs) Under the Mental Impairment Act, a jury would normally determine whether Jono was fit to stand trial. There are two tests to satisfy. Did he know what he was doing? And did he know it was wrong? If he had no awareness of his crimes, he would be locked up not in jail, but in a secure psychiatric hospital. In certain cases, the court does not even ask the jury to deliberate. If the defendant psychiatrist agrees with the crown psychiatrist on these questions, the judge makes the call. And that's exactly what happened in Jono's case. There was no jury involved, and the judge decided he'd be committed to the Thomas Embling Psychiatric Hospital until the medical tribunal decided that he was well enough to be released into the community again. This was a massive shock to David Camerata.
7: Obviously with the way he functions and the way he managed to evade capture for so long as well as the stalking behaviour for that reason he's I believe extremely dangerous and definitely not someone that you want out in the public but I'm learning faster and faster that there's quite a few monsters that are walking around amongst us and fingers crossed he probably won't ever again but I'm not convinced at this point in time.
2: And I think, you know, we're naive to the possibilities. You commit these awful crimes over a length of time. You repeat these types of offences. You get charged for it, but it still doesn't mean you're guilty of the crime. We don't know what the outcome will be, but there's two paths, the criminal path or the mental impairment path. The mental impairment path is very concerning as a victim because we don't have an Act that protects us like um, the Mental Impairment Act would protect him.
7: I was assuming that this process is about the people that have been affected and keeping the public safe, but you learn pretty quickly that it's more to do with rehabilitation and or his comfort levels more than anybody else
0: is, is what I'm starting to gather. A panel of doctors will assess Jono at regular intervals, and he will eventually be allowed day release unsupervised. If he continues to respond to treatment, Jono will be given his freedom again. David and Danny Camerata have virtually no legal rights in all this, beyond the opportunity to provide a victim impact statement to the court.
7: It's not the nicest feeling in the world. I mean. It raises a lot of questions about the future for us. I mean, we've built a family, business, house, community, friends, and you sort of look at those things and think they could be in jeopardy if the government departments won't give you any sort of indication as to whether or not he'll be allowed to sort of walk out one day. Well, then I suppose we have to put measures in place to keep us safe. As much as I don't like giving up and I'm not a a runner, I'm certainly not going to put our family in in harm's way at any stage.
0: David's thoughts often go back to the day he and Dion captured Jono in the car park at his work, and he struggles to reconcile everything that's happened, even his decision to let Jono live.
7: You know, I look back on things and I think, as horrible as it sounds, I I look at that day and a couple of times that I had access to him and thoughts run through your head of... You could have finished it and ended it for good it's horrible to think about but you know looking at what our future looks like and not only that the suffering that's happened with the kids and Daddy, and my ongoing nightmares and night terrors and things like that I think the world would be a much better place if people like him uh, weren't around.
2: Um, if people want to try and imagine what it's like to live like us. Everyone is in lockdown and fearing this virus. So that's what it feels like. But this virus carries a knife and a hammer and hides around corners. So you can see how much COVID is affecting people's lives. Now try and think what you would feel like if that was an actual person.
0: Jono is safe and secure in a mental institution. Maybe one day his rampage and two and a half years on the run will seem like a bad dream to him. However, for David Camerata, this ordeal continues. Every time he goes to sleep, the nightmares return.
7: They vary, it's always violent. So, my headspace in the nighttime is basically like an ongoing horror theme. So, it's just constant, whether it be me killing him, him killing me. Me dying, me watching his brother, the horrendous stuff, but I can live with it in my head, but unfortunately I will act out in the night time and have acted out, and it makes Danny's sleep extremely nervous. She doesn't want to touch, like, bump into me because I can wake and turn violent really quickly.
2: He, he sort of wakes up in a state of um, fear,
0: Danny Camerata told me many times she just needed a number. How long Jono would be locked up for. That would give her a sense of security. She doesn't have that now.
2: I I kept on saying the word, I want a number, but, you know, it's just a word now that we want. Um, we, We seek peace in our lives. That's all we want. I've said this before to the DPP and the police, that I believe that... The justice system is there to restore the victim's life as it was before they became a victim. It's not asking for much, I don't believe. I'm not asking for a death penalty. I'm not asking for anything. I just want peace for my husband. I want peace for my children and for myself.
0: In Plain Sight is a real crime production. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Audio editing, mixing and original score by Matt Nikolich. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nolly West Shand. Listener.